Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing out there? Good morning. Ready to go. Whoa. I'm ready. Well, fired up. And it started yesterday. Roger Penske started us all off. That's a that's a tough act to follow, but I think we've got the best two guys to do it with Antron and Ron. And I know everybody is super excited. So thank you for the opportunity, guys. Uh, yesterday, all the feedback I got was through the roof positive. Everybody's loving it. We're just getting started. Yes, and, and you did a beautiful job, Joe. Uh, I mean, you were terrific, and uh, I know we're keeping you busy all week. And as Judy mentioned, we have three wonderful hosts, including Paul Fanner and John Kilroy on top of it. And so this is, this is very exciting, and we're delighted to be talking drag racing. And, and, and for a French guy like me who grew up in France, you know, uh, I discovered really uh, a drag racing when I came here in the U.S. about 20 years ago. And uh, wow, there is nothing else. My first Pomona uh, uh, event in, uh, in October or November. Yeah, uh, uh, no, what was that? Yeah, and end of this uh, around that time in, in the nine, 29, no, wait, 1999 or something like that. It was just absolutely a memorable experience. So uh, we're delighted to have you guys on and uh, it is 6.59 here in California. So Joe, will uh, will let you take over. You have about uh, 50, 55 minutes and our next session will be with uh, IBAC Springs after. So Joe, we'll, uh, we'll let you take over, okay? And I want to say thank you, Antron and Ron for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, anytime. Excellent. Excellent. Thank, Thank you, you, Judy. Thank you, John. Appreciate all you guys have done, Francisque. And good morning and welcome epartrade.com day two industry week. My name is Joe Costello. I'm an NHRA track announcer, but also I host WFO radio where uh, these two gentlemen and champion race car drivers, Ron Caps and Antron Brown, uh, I get to speak with them on a very regular basis because they win a lot. Uh, what I am most excited about is sharing our passion for the sport of drag racing, which obviously uh, an American thing that has now spread worldwide. And we got about 50 minutes to really dive in. First of all, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Antron. Good morning, Ron. How are you? Good morning. It's early good out morning. here, Joe. <laughs> yeah, Ron, first of all, Everybody gets to come behind the curtain on this one. I want this. We got Nitro Crew Chiefs later on today. We're going to have Ron Tobler. We're going to have Jimmo, Kurt Elliott, Nikki, going to be great. But I want to bring everyone as behind the scenes of our drag racing world as is possible. Starting out with the fact that Ron Caps was up very late last night high racing, playing games. How'd it go, Ron? It went good. Uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. This racing series I'm in called Monday Night Racing is it's uh, a lot of industry people with NASCAR, IndyCar, uh, TV, print, a lot of the motorsports industry. And so these guys really get into it and it's blown up on social media. But we've got Kyle Busch, Parker Klingerman, we had Connor Daly last night join in. Uh, it's gotten to be a pretty eclectic group and it's a different race car at a different track every week. And so last night was IndyCar's. So to race a virtual IndyCar at Twin, Wing, Twin Ring Motegi uh, against Kyle Busch and some of these guys was pretty amazing. So I got a top 10, finished ninth, and uh, it's a fun series. It's fun to look forward to, and uh, it's, it's cool that we get to, to race with editors of motorsports magazines and websites and Fox uh, TV analysts and uh, things like that. So it was fun. 
How come, how come you're not mentioning world-renowned photographer Mark Rabillis? Because <laughs> he's sleeping. He wouldn't hear it anyway. <laughs> that makes them that's a good point. Uh, and, and now that's one of your calling cards, Ron, and, and we'll leave it there. But uh, during the whole pandemic shutdown that we all experienced, um, you dove in to promoting for your sponsor. You got some shout outs from Mario Andretti. That has been a, a nickname. I want to tease that for our audience, but I want to welcome Antron and AB. Uh, what's interesting is you started out in motorcycles. You went in pro stock motorcycle. Now you're a top fuel driver. You won the final race of the season. And you guys were just getting hot just as the season came to conclusion. Does that give you confidence for the 2021 campaign? Absolutely. You know, the thing about it is, is that a lot of people look at motorsports as motorsports, but motorsports is just like any other team sport, is that it takes the synergy of a team coming together. And we got like all of our guys back together from Brian Karate, who's my crew chief, Mark Oswald, Brad Mason, Kyle, Chris, all of our Maco boys. We all got back together and we've been having some little problems plaguing us, man, just little gremlins where the little $5 parts, this part, that part, and we couldn't figure it out. Like every week you go to a different week and you got one problem fixed. You got a problem solve another problem. And this took all of us just coming together, going back to the basics where we just actually sat there and hashed and went through every part and piece of that race car to where we normally have 24 races to get it ready. In a normal season with qualifying runs, we only really did like eight races. You get what I mean? If you count all the laps to put together and we had to get our junk together in a quick time where we're like, all right, if we could just get through to the middle of the season, by the time we hit Indy, we should be hitting our stride like normal during the year, which is like our basically like our 13th race of the season. And we're like, then we'll have the rest of the year and we'll go into countdown and we should be a top five car and we can hit the countdown and have our, have all of our stuff together. But with this shortened season, with COVID, the way it did it to everybody is was that we just had to make everything happen more quickly. And uh, it was it was strange because you only have two qualifying runs. I know Ron can account for this too. That two qualifying runs, man, it, it got everybody up on their toes where you had to just worry about qualifying for the race and then get in the race and actually get your just get your whole like combination and be hitting on all eight cylinders. By the time you hit like that first round, if you get through the first round, you started getting better and better as the race went on. And, and, and uh, when you get to the final round, it's really like your second round of a normal race. So, so it, it's crazy on how much that kept us all on our toes. It made it exciting for the fans, but it made nerve-wracking for our teams and our crew chiefs to try to make these cars right. So this COVID deal really amped up, amped us up and made us more – just on that ready line, like you got to be ready. Like, you know, you got to be ready to go in there and you're, you're racing. As soon as you pull out the first run, you got to hit the, you have to hit the bullseye. You can't be floating around the target. So let's, let's focus in on that because we did, you heard uh, Francis mention 110 countries around the world. This is an industry seminar. We all know why we're here. You mentioned the pandemic, of course, and the, um, the idea that motorsport in general handled this pandemic in a way that is, uh, are you guys hearing me, by the way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, we got you. Just making sure, just making sure, because uh, I, 
Motorsport in general handled the pandemic very well. Uh, NHRA in particular, we've seen NASCAR do away with practice and, and qualifying, et cetera. Everybody had to trim the fat, if you will, which is fine if you're in a NASCAR race, you have the entire race to get better. It is unfortunate in drag racing, we bill the extreme nature and you know uh, sudden death final round atmosphere of every round. So instead of four qualifying sessions, you got two qualifying sessions and you're rolling out for first round eliminations, your third run down the racetrack, which is probably not enough to get a hold of it. So that amped up everything. It was amazing that we got through the season and we crowned champions and uh, each of you gentlemen got a win. I would like to spend some time though, talking about drag racing in comparison and contrast maybe to some of the other forms of motorsport that we love, appreciate. Uh, Ron, you of course have had experience in various forms of race car. Antron, you on motorcycles. I know you've appreciated all forms of racing. Antron had a stint on American Top Gear. You're both media personalities. So let's talk to some of the fans out there around the world. NHRA had some really big news this year with Marcus Limonis and his Camping World brand. Of course, he's on CNBC with the TV show, The Profit. Turns out he's been eyeing the sport of NHRA drag racing for many years, wanting to get involved. Of course, we had a you know pandemic-related hiccup with title sponsorship, and he swooped in to, to take the sport over uh, in Camping World drag racing. So what I want you guys to each speak on, we could start with Ron and then go to Antron, is the extreme nature of drag racing. It is over rapidly. It seems simple, but it is anything but. And it has this amazing fan following in the United States and of course worldwide because of all of those things that seem to be converging at once as the attention span of like the average person gets narrower, drag racing where you have many short races that are so extreme, so intense that you remember them forever are happening. Ron, tackle that a little bit for our international audience. Well, I, you know, it's funny is I always try to, um, you know, the cool thing about being sponsored by Napa Auto Parts, I've got teammates in all kinds of racing, Alexander Rossi and IndyCar, and of course, Chase Elliott won the championship in, in NASCAR and World Outlaw Sprint Cars of Brad Sweet. And so, yeah, in my past, driving for Don the Snake Pernome, I got to go test with IROC. I got to, to drive Skip Barber cars and, and go to a race in, in mid-Ohio. And so I've gotten a chance through drag racing to be able to live a dream and go race dirt at Eldora, things like that. And I always tell people when I come back, and Antron and I talk about this all the time, the interesting part about what our cars do and, and what I love about being around these other race car drivers and other series is they all kind of gravitate towards us and say, you know, what goes on in that car? What are you doing in that car before you step on the gas? And they're always so intrigued about what's about to happen when we step on 11,000 horsepower. And first of all, you got a picture, 11,000 horsepower, even the most amazing experienced race car drivers in the world of any other motorsports can't fathom 11,000 horsepower. You might have 800 horsepower. You might have a thousand in another motorsport series, but 11,000 think about it. So I always explain to them, it's, we don't have the luxury of a grand prix or a NASCAR oval or a dirt track oval of messing up one corner and missing your mark on a corner or, or not hitting the apex the way you wanted to. 
and in your head you're like it's okay your spotter's talking to you i can make it up on this next lap or the next lap after that and i can get us back up to where we're at in nhra drag racing especially in a nitro car you step on the gas and you've got about 3.8 seconds really not even that because the last few hundred feet just sort of happen in one of these cars but you don't have the luxury of making a decision like you would in, a, in another type of race car where you go, ooh, I missed that. And you kind of talk to yourself and you have maybe a fraction of a, a second, second and a half, two seconds to make that decision. You've got to make a decision split second that could either not hurt you, not hurt you bad or not hurt somebody else. And you've got to make the right decision. And on top of it, it could save a run. It could win a race. It could lose the race. Um, so there's a lot going on in that small amount of time. And you step on the gas of a nitro car and it's like the world's flying apart. And people have seen my end cars that we put up on social media where I wear the, in, the HD glasses. It's insane for 3.5 seconds. It's like everything is flying apart. So it's hard to tell somebody else that's even the best race car drivers in the world what we experience. So um, that's what I love about the sport. And yeah, through the pandemic, like you talked about, I flew back from that March race in Gainesville and I knew things were going to get bad and and knowing that nascar when they got back to racing without fans one thing that nhra wouldn't do and won't do is race without fans period so we had to wait a little longer to get back and it was perfect planning i think on nhra's part to get back to race in indianapolis we had uh, four races there it was close to home for the teams um from a business standpoint, I got right on iRacing, which I've been with iRacing since their inception. And it was interesting to get these text messages from these other race car drivers. And all of a sudden, iRacing's putting on, and we're racing Wednesday nights and Thursday nights in front of a million people tuned into TV to watch us race race cars on a computer. So it's insane to think what we all sort of resorted to. And the next thing you know, we're getting cars painted up. We're mentioning sponsors. We've got Mario Andretti talking, you know, uh, during a race. And it was sort of an IROC series through the whole pandemic. But really, the funnest part was getting into the green room, sort of what, what you would call it, before a race. And I'm talking to Haley Castroneves, or I'm talking to Tony Kanan, or I'm talking to Chase Elliott. And all these guys were talking to each other via a computer before we strap into these virtual race cars. And it's usually what we do at an autograph session at SEMA or PRI or something like this. So that's the only time we got to catch up. And here we were doing it virtually. So a lot of things changed. And like Antron and I, we don't approach us as race car drivers. We approach us as a business and our sponsors are partners. And that's the way we've always approached it. So we just sort of had to change things up a little bit. I, I think uh, I am proud of what motorsports has done and NHRA Drag Racing in particular. Uh, if you're just logging on, welcome, epartrade.com. We've got Ron Caps and Antron Brown, NHRA Camping World Champion Drag Racers. Ron drives a funny car. Of course, those are the cars with the carbon fiber body that comes down over the top of it. Very claustrophobic. Don't know how you do it, Ron. And Antron Top Fuel Dragsters, very similar 11,000 horsepower engine. I would love for you to expand a little bit, Antron, about what Ron just said the chaos that happens in the cockpit of one of these cars where much like other forms of racing, when things are going right, it's, uh, it's all good. But when things go wrong, all of a sudden you have a, uh, 
an uncontrollable beast that you must control. You picked up the final win of the season. And talk a little bit about and take the audience into the cockpit with you. Well, the first thing I can I can tell everybody is that us as drag racers, I, we always used to get people, well, how hard can it be? You just go straight. And, and you know, we always get that. But the thing about it is if you ever saw Ron's in-car camera, my in-car camera, we turn that thing more than three and a half seconds than – a lot of cars do around a whole lap of the racetrack, you know what I mean? Because they kind of go steady and we're kind of just, we're trying to guide it. We're actually, we're nipping it all down and we're trying to guide it. You're, you're trying to guide this unguided missile. And the craziest part about it is what people don't realize is not the speed that gets you in a drag race car. It's the acceleration on how you get there. When you think about it, you know, for the whole industry out there worldwide, you got to remember our cars like, the fastest cars accelerating now, they think are electric cars where they go from zero to 60 in 1.8 seconds. We go from zero to 100 miles an hour in 0.8 of a second. So that means whether you like it or not, when you step on the gas pedal, you're going 100 miles an hour. And you're going to pull at the start. This is what people understand. You're going to pull when we're talking about on the specs of it, like in G's, you know, like we will pull when we step on the gas pedal, we'll pull close to four G's, but that's not where it gets you at. When you go down a racetrack, when you get out there to about 200 feet, that G meter just, just keeps on climbing exponentially. You go from 3.8 to 4.2. Then when you get out there to 330 feet, it hits you again because you get a little bit more clutch because our clutch does not come one to one until we get to about 550 feet down the racetrack. So once we, get past that 330 feet mark and we come to that 550 foot mark where we're doing almost like 300 miles an hour. We're going like 290 miles an hour at that point, right at the 660 foot mark. The clutch is already going one-to-one. -one, and when it goes one-to-one, -one, we will go up to six G's. So what I'm trying to tell people is, is that we are pulling more G's at 300 miles an hour than we did from a zero to a hundred from a standstill start. So our car's already doing about 250 miles an hour. And when the clutch comes one-to-one, -one, it takes us up to 300 miles an hour. And that's our max G load. So you kind of just, it's like kind of like being in warp drive when you hit the gas. It goes, whoop, pushes you back, pushes you back again, pushes you back again. And when it comes one-to-one, -one, it snaps you up and snaps you back. And then the car just is floating for the last like 340 feet of the racetrack. It just floats and skates the rest of the way down where it's trying to come up off the ground is what it's trying to do. That's where our top fuel dragsters are up in the middle hovering and our rear wing and our front wings are trying to keep the car planted. That's why our car arches so much. And on Ron's hand, on his car, the downforce transitions to the back of the car where his wing and where all the downforce of a funny car is and this front end starts floating up. That's why you see the funny cars going side to side and they're like, they're staring. And then when it touches the ground for like a, for like a microsecond, you see the car dart over here. Then it touches again, it darts over here because the front end's off the ground. So Ron has got to get his car to steer right from like zero to 330 feet. He's got to get that car on the road. If he doesn't get on the road, then they got their hands full for the rest of the way down the racetrack. And they still do because the back tires are all doing something different. They get distorted, one side's lower, one side's higher, and the car is just trying to steer every which direction going down the racetrack. And every input you put to it, it makes the car even drive even worse. So you got to try to keep it as smooth as possible 
just to keep it in the groove. The more input, the more trouble you put the car in, whether it's a top fuel or a funny car. And the hardest part for me to always explain to people to go, well, what's different about drag racing from circle track racing, this racing is like anything else. If you ever, everybody watches the Olympics, everybody across the globe, okay? When you're going to watch NASCAR, you're going to go see like the mile race. You get what I mean? You're going over there, you're going to see them race a mile and these guys want to bang and bar and jockey positions back and forth, but they got to pace themselves. When you come to drag racing, you're coming to see the 100 meters, okay? Everybody's lined up. If you mess up coming out the gate, you ain't got no track to make it up. You start off behind, you ain't making it up unless you got Hussein Bolt speed. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the thing about it is, is when we get into this, we have no mulligans. That's the intensity. It's like everybody wants to jump that start. You got to get out the blocks good. And then you cannot mess up on one cling or one foot motion to move forward. So with that being said, that's where drag racing brings in intensity. And we bring people over in our sport from like Kyle Bush is my good friend, Martin Truex, Kurt Bush. I mean, all these guys will come over and they love drag racing. They took a stint in it. And I know me and Kyle has swung it through Toyota numerous times that we're going to do a ride swap, which I've drove NASCARs before. Like, you know what I mean? On this, like in, in like in the Arca series back in the day, I did some stuff for Toyota through Revolution Racing with Max Siegel. Had a blast over there. I was actually doing it at the same time that Brian Suarez was coming through. You know what I mean? So me and him actually shared some time together. And uh, it was a lot of fun back in the day. But, but when they come over to drag racing, they see that. They see how it raises your arm hair. They see how it, like it, it, like it like makes you rise up and how you don't know how to react to it because you literally just have to respond to what's going on. There's no thinking involved. You got to put the training in where it comes second nature and you're always got to be on your toes. You hit a bump or is that the motor pinging or is it the motor going lean or is it dropping a hole where it goes boom? I mean, Ron's been through some blowups. I've been through some blowups and I don't know about Ron, but brother can't get no darker. I'm trying to stay light, bro. I ain't trying to get burnt up. <laughs> there he is. Antron Brown, three-time champion. Now, uh, Drag racing is, uh, it's, I don't want to say it, it's a cult because it's not a cult, but it's definitely cultural. And coming out of Southern California, post-World War II, we know auto racing in general. People came back and they had their, their uh, they wanted to do things for leisure and playing with cars and going fast and hot rodding. We all know the culture in the United States may be a little different in Europe, but people wanted to play and have fun. But the drag racing community, I think way back to the early icons, uh, you know, I think about Bill Simpson in terms of safety, talking about, uh, you know, explosions. And I'm thinking about deceleration with parachutes and all the different innovations. But, Ron, you also had the great experience, you name dropped him already, of driving for one of our icons, Don the Snake Prudhomme, who Don is known throughout motorsports. Got a new book out, by the way. Um, he loves IndyCar. He hangs out with Chip. He's around. But the snake is like... Uh, you know, is, is like a god of motorsports. He's known and respect everywhere. What was the experience like working and driving with and being around and carrying the baton from those early pioneers, in particular the snake, but that 
that early attitude of drag racing where things were maybe less safe and things were less evolved and the technology didn't exist back then, Ron? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it was getting a phone call from your biggest hero to go drive for. I mean, it was it was surreal. And then to even the first year as a rookie to be flying or riding the rental car to the track and you look over and there's your hero growing up and you think to yourself, I'm driving for this guy. Like it, it was crazy. A um, lot of fun, but it was just uh, for me, it was it was even more than I imagined as a kid. You always say as a kid and you wonder what these heroes of yours are doing right that moment. Like, I wonder what they're doing right this second. And uh, and, you know, we go to Mario Andretti's house uh, when we land in Pennsylvania before our race. We'd go to James Jim Brolin's and Barbara Streisand's place or go to the set and watch Jim Brolin or Pernelli Jones hanging out. It just it was this crazy thing that you would imagine driving for somebody like Don Perdome. And uh, almost a decade, I got to drive for him. And then, of course, now driving for Don Schumacher. So being able to drive for two of the biggest names in motorsports as far as owners with such a rich history. Both of them go way back in the day to the 60s. And, uh, of course, playing with the Hot Wheels with Snake and Mongoose. Um, for me, as a kid growing up in California and being around these Southern California tracks, it really were the, the start of drag racing where Wally Park started NHRA the March meet, which I still go to uh, it, at Famoso Raceway, it, these, as a kid, to show up at Bakersfield, you know, at five or six years old, 1970, 1971, and to read these magazines and hear about Don Garlitz coming all the way out, who's considered one of the best, and to challenge himself to come out to California and race against the Ridge Route Terrors, you know, the uh, the Rain for Rent, and Warren and Coburn, and Don Prudhomme, and you know, just these names that would to come out and, and try to be the best in the world at, at a sport that uh, that you looked up to. And we did as a weekend, as as my dad did as a hobby was it was fun to grow up in that era. Um, and then now to have my dad look through my eyes as I'm doing it professionally is crazy. And, um, you know, driving for Snake was uh, a different than driving for Dom Schumacher. So many different ways that you looked at uh, the way that Don Perdome came up and of course the movies come out and he's got a book out, but very intense. It's all he ever did. He didn't have a business like Don Schumacher does. Uh, and a lot of these drag racing team owners uh, that are businessmen snake. It was, it was only drag racing. And you, you quickly learned how intense he was growing up and the stories you, you learned firsthand with an ass chewing or, or a pat on the butt. I mean, it was either that way and, and there was no sugar coating it. Um, and same thing with Don Schumacher to, to a businessman. That's all he's thinking about. So it really, I'm, I'm very lucky to be able to drive for two completely different team owners that really are so successful through uh, motorsports and still so passionate about it. I, I love hearing that. And you mentioned Don Schumacher and I want to segue to Don, a, a drag racer turned business magnate, due to his love of drag racing, built a, a major business and then came back to drag racing and then built business within drag racing. And I would love you both to kind of talk a little bit about your team owner, Don Schumacher, in how he was able to change the game, evolve the sport, drag racing back to its early days. I think we all understand that motorsport in general grew and evolved 
as a, an entertainment. But really, a lot of these people would be out here doing it if no one was watching. This is something that there's just a love of. But then there were fans and we needed money and sponsorship grew. And now it is a big business. And Don Schumacher really knew that. So what you guys have the uh, ability to do is explain to people out there who are outside of drag racing, like what's going on inside that Brownsburg, Indiana shop where not only does Don have a great marketing team bringing on uh, sponsorships like Matco and Napa and others, a uh, long-standing partnership with the U.S. Army for many years, but when there was a part that was mandatory, maybe instead of buying the part from a vendor, Don would set up a business that built the part and start employing people to make the part and then selling the part to other racers, which made it more affordable to have the part, which then allowed more racers to race. And that, that filter down that has been so helpful to the sport. This guy is obviously a taskmaster. He's a, a challenging person. I once interviewed him on WFO and I asked him like, you know, what about George Steinbrenner? Would you consider yourself a George Steinbrenner type? And he, he mentioned the, the tough, leadership like i give you what it takes to win now go win what's it like to work for someone like that and what is it like to be a part of don schumacher racing uh let's let's let antron start this one ab well what i can start off this is that i've been with don back in the day where he had one dragster one funny car and he had two motorcycles and i raced with him for the u.s army and what i can tell you about him is is that for one his work ethic that Don will tell you, he goes, you know, Antron, he goes, you don't have to be the smartest, but he goes, but what I've done is I've outworked every one of my competitors on the business front, starting with the, you know, with the Schumacher Electric Company to drag race teams. And what I think Don has not shared with a lot of people is, is that I see it from the outside looking in. He's a man with a big vision. Okay. And his vision's big where you see other teams thinking about, man, it'd be great if I have a top fuel car and a funny car or I have this or that. Don goes, well, I want eight of everything. And, <laughs> and, and Caps knows what I'm talking about when I'm saying about that. And he starts with that kind of vision and then he ends up with four of each. You get what I'm saying? Because in anything in life, you always shoot big. But if you make your vision so big and you only come halfway there, you have achieved things that a lot of people haven't achieved. That's why you see Don Schumacher in every Hall of Fame there is. From, from the performance standpoint, with all the race wins, with all the championships he's got in that stable, the way he brings people together, and he pushes everybody to be the best, the best that they can be. And what I mean, like he pushes more out of you, and sometimes you might not like what he says. You might not like the way he, the stare he gives you or how he comes off because he's just brutally honest and he's straight to the point where he's like, this is what it takes. You know what I mean? This is what you have to live up to. Are you willing to, to do this job? And, and, and he, and he pushes you to those limits. And then when he's talking about giving you everything you need, if you walk into the Don Schumacher race shop is you go from our race cars where they're at, you go to the fab shop. We have a state of art fab shop where we got guys in there, that can build race cars from chromoly tubing that's straight tubing to a finished product. And it's just like, I mean, you, you can't get better than the engineering staff that we have there in our fab shop. Those guys do some incredible work. 
The welds are flawless. I've been to race cars upside down. The car did exactly what it does. The cars never fly apart, never break. And, and that's the coolest part about it. Then you move into the CNC machine shop area. Well, they have machines from Akuma that are state of art. They're bigger than some people's whole shop, this one CNC machine, where we build our own engine blocks, to our own filler heads, our rods, blower snout, pulleys. We, they probably built almost 60% of all the aluminum billet race parts on our car. We make at DSR. And it wasn't like, you know, a lot of people go, well, that's a business move. Well, at the end of the day, we used to get race parts when we started getting down and we started having race parts that failed and did this and did that. And now what we do is we control our own destiny where if we don't, like when the shop makes it and it's not right and all of our crew chiefs spec it out and after it goes through the finite analysis testing and they look at it and they're like, well, this ain't good. Well, we don't run it. It gets scrapped. You know what I mean? And it goes back to the drawing board where they able to refine it and bring it out to where we know that we can go out there and we know we're going to have a race car that's going to go A to B without parts failure. And if something ever does go wrong, we're able to capitalize on it and fix that problem quickly, especially with the team that we have as a whole to go back out there. And I think that's what contributes to all the championships and the race wins that, I mean, DSR won every single funny car race this year, every, every lap. Right. And, uh, and, and our top fuel cars started coming around, started getting back together. And, uh, we had our work cut out for us, but now we're getting back on track to do the same thing. And, and that's what we are planning on for 2021, but it all starts up to helm and Don's got that vision. And he also has got that attitude that this is what it takes to win. And this is what we need to do. And that's put the work in. If the other teams are working 24 hours, we need to be working 72 hours. And, and that's his philosophy. You got to outwork them, not just use the talent, but put the work in that it takes to get the job done. On caps, you won the 2016 championship ron tobler your crew chief ron's going to be on later today by the way and uh, everybody who's interested in this these are the drivers the crew chiefs you know maybe they're the real stars i i wonder about it these amazing personalities that have to process all this get the cars down the racetrack we're going to have that later on today it is going to be great but uh speak a little bit about that perfect season you guys had sweeping the entire year yes technically it was a short season and yes some of your uh, most difficult competition did not elect to run the races this year, but nonetheless, you Don Schumacher racing one team won every race all year long. And there's a lot of good racers out there, Tim Wilkerson, Cruz Pedregon, others. Um, what went into that? And as you guys were coming down the stretch, was that on your mind? Like we can do something special this year, Ron? Well, it wasn't on our mind. It was definitely on Don's mind. <laughs> and as we got closer to the end of the season, it was more and more apparent that we needed to try to sweep. Uh, yeah, there are great teams were out there. Yeah, John Force's team didn't come back after COVID. Um, but, and I've said this time and time again, the toughest teams I have to race isn't necessarily these other teams. It's my teammates. And it still amazes me, much like any other motorsport um, that you can take a, a team of people and a, and a brain trust of a crew chief and a driver that can feel a car and you can approach something with your own way of approaching it, your own way of tuning this car. And whether it's Grand Prix racing, whether it's IndyCar, NASCAR, whatever it is. And yet you can do this and have these other teams of eight or 10 battle the same way. And it still comes down to fractions of a second 
and how close everybody achieves that goal. And the same thing in drag racing. We have crew chiefs that approach it with a six-disc clutch, like some of our teammates. My crew chief and, and another uh, one of our teammates had a five-disc clutch. You have a different supercharger settings. You have different compression ratios. You have all these different ways to approach something, yet when it comes down to the end of, of everybody making a run, it, it's still that close. It, is, it still amazes me. And, and yeah, I'm growing up in the sport. I came up as a crew person that worked on these cars. So I really appreciate what the crew guys go through, uh, getting in the rig and driving it down the road. It's not like NASCAR where we have a separate, uh, drivers that take these rigs from race to race. These crew guys and girls work on these cars, um, tirelessly. There's no nine to five. It's, it's just nonstop. Um, and it's really being able to work on them and then becoming a driver. I understand that. And I also know that you need to, and I always joke about it, but you sort of need to pamper your crew chief. You got to pat them on the butt. You got to make them feel good when they're not feeling good. It's almost like having a wife and there's going to be days you don't get along with them. Yes. Days that you don't, uh, you don't see eye to eye. And there's days that you're mad as hell at them and vice versa, probably. But the bottom line goal is you, you wake up in the morning and you, you live your life with these crew chiefs, literally. And when you have success, these crew chiefs are dependent on these crew people putting the car together and in drag race and everything's got to be so precise and so good. And like Antron says, you, you look at Don Schumacher and what he's done with the canopy and the dragster and, and really the vision he's had of safety, but performance, um, He's good at letting us do our jobs and giving us a lot of rope. Um, and if you hang yourself, it's your own fault. You've got mm -hmm. the best equipment. Uh, Ron Tober and I have won a lot of races together since 2012. I've had some of the best crew chiefs in the history of the sport. Ed the Ace McCulloch, Dale Armstrong. Um, you know, just being around these legendary guys, I've, uh, I've come to, to be very lucky and win a lot of races. And so, uh, I think that you look you look at the the depth of what Don Schumacher has done and and really has followed in suit of what NASCAR did years ago. Start building your stuff in house. Start making your cars. Don't rely on buying something that all these other teams can buy when we can make it. So Don relies on the business part of it, getting these partners like Nap Auto Parts and Pins Oil, and Dodge, and really working on making ourselves better. But to, to go to your point of what we did and win in every race this season, um, it's pretty remarkable to come down to it and have one of our team, one of our four funny cars win at every race. Um, and there was a lot of pressure going into Vegas to finish that off. I know that Don had it. He was mentioning it quite a bit. And uh, we were just trying to finish the season on a high and, and win the race and uh, came close to doing that. So um, yeah, it's, it's fun it's a lot of pressure driving for somebody like Don Schumacher, but it's a lot of fun uh, when you win because, you know, you got Mike Lewis and Ted Yerzik and we got our PR people and you got such a big team back in Brownsburg that, you know, uh, are a big part of it. Absolutely. And uh, that's the strength of the organization, which uh, Don has built. Got some comments out there. And if you have a question for the guys, you can definitely put it in the comments section. For instance, Paul Glessner is out there just saying what's up and, and loves you guys. Uh, John is out there making a comment that I get it and understand it. Sometimes rubs me the wrong way, though, that, you know, drag racing is number one, way better than F1, right? 
I just love motorsports. I love car racing. And I find, gentlemen, that there is a huge appreciation, like cross appreciation, between those two. You'd think that, you know, NASCAR and drag racing would have a lot of cross pollination, but and, and there is some. But I just think that the intensity level of the two sports, drag racing and Formula One, are actually very connected. Snake, for instance, loves Formula One. There's a lot of appreciation of what goes on in the other pit or paddock area. Why do you think that is, Ron? Uh, I, you know, that's what, for me, it's been cool driving for the snake and then Don and being, and, and with Napa Auto Parts having teammates from all these series. I love World Outlaw Racing. I love I've got a teammate there. I love everything about other types of racing. Um, Kenny Bernstein used to run an organization when he was driving and owning, we would have these meetings, uh, pro meetings, they call them. And it was sort of a, a, a union of sorts between team owners and drivers, uh, and it was always interesting because his business mind, uh, the way he looked at things and being sponsored by Budweiser back then. And I'll never forget, he stood up one time because there were some other owners talking about how we needed to we needed to get as good as NASCAR at this or as what Formula One has done. And he, he stood up and said, you guys, this is drag racing. This is a unique sport. And it's why we have such a great fan base. It's why Camping World's uh, owner is coming into the sport. The guy's never first. He's never been to a drag race live but he knows why he wants to do it as a business decision with camping world i can't wait for him to come and stand on the starting line and actually experience one in life it's going to be crazy and i can't wait for that but i always loved the appreciation of any race car driver uh paul tracy who we follow each other on instagram uh guys that i really appreciate and i love to watch and i appreciate their grittiness and the way that they approach racing uh the way they look at Antron and I and what we do. And um, I, I, Kenny Bernstein stood up and said, we are drag race. It's what we do. People come because they can walk around the pits mm -hmm. and stand next to a car being built from the ground up after making a 330 mile an hour run. You can watch eight guys tear it apart, put it back together in 35 minutes. You can't get your oil changed down at your local quick, whatever, you know, for less than the time it takes for one of our guys and our teams to take it apart, put it back together. So there's a lot of unique things that our sport has. And I, I never wanted to look at it and, and try to compare. I just appreciate, I appreciate formula one. I love IndyCar. I, I love what Chase Elliott does in NASCAR. I love everything about these other motorsports. lawnmower racing. I love watching lawnmower racing. <laughs> there's something unique about any type of racing. It really is. And I love, and Antron tell you the same thing. It's nothing better than to have one of your, heroes or a compadre that you look at and watch tv on another type of racing and you have them out at a drag race and you watch their eyeballs yes. take them to the starting line but you have them in the pit area and watch that crew tear it apart that appreciation is worldwide and it doesn't matter what type of racing it is it's that appreciation that we all have for each other that uh, that i love well and exactly and i think in our uh you know post pandemic world the word appreciation is going to become so much uh, closer to all of our hearts because we've gone through something uh, really challenging worldwide. Speaking of worldwide, we've got people checking in from Istanbul, Turkey. We've got people checking in from Dublin, Ireland. Let's see what Bernard has to say. What is the position with NHRA and the future of motorsport with regard to hybrid electric vehicles? This is one that's coming up a lot. As Antron just mentioned, 
something you wouldn't have ever said 10 years ago, like the quickest accelerating cars are electric cars, like say what? And yet uh, we're starting to see it. And HRA is brilliant. And the engine sound is one of the great attractions, of course, which makes it a unique spectacle. Uh, what do you guys think about? Well, Antron can elaborate on, 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 on the electric cars because he knows firsthand and, uh, and drag. Do it, AB. Do it, AB. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is that uh, they've been doing a lot of stuff electric-wise. Like, you know, at the last few races, and Ron's been there also, is that you see Ford brought out their, their electric their electric car. Uh, Copo, Chevrolet bought electric car. The Harley-Davidson's bought out electric motorcycles. And you know what I mean? And it was a guy just broke over 250 miles an hour in electric dragster. And we even have electric cars in junior dragster racing, which my kids race at the very beginning of it. They brought them out and uh, Jags has been a really big component of that. Like Jags senior, like the man, like, you know what I mean? The father who runs all the Jags, he's the one that really spearheaded that. And he's really got that going because it's bringing, you know, in today's age, all the kids are coming up are, are tech savvy. They're very good with their iPhones, their, their Android phones, their computers, their iPads. They know how to do everything else. And they're dialing and tuning these cars from their phone. So how much acceleration, how to make it dial and do the same lap time after time. And then we've got them where they're transitioning over to what we do. Because when you look in our sport as a whole, like F1 has went to it where they have electric motors on their cars just like a Akron XS has, or you go to some of the Toyota hybrid cars where you got hybrids for fuel economy, and now you got hybrid cars for performance. And then you also have hybrid pickup trucks that are literally for more towing. Like Toyota's about to launch a new Tundra that has a hybrid motor on it that has more pulling capacity than any diesel out there. And it gets better fuel economy, and guess what? You put regular gas in it. You get what I mean? So there's so much new technology coming out and uh, and that we're all exposed to it. And that's what we're doing. But the coolest part about what our drag racing sport has that a lot of people have never keyed in or looked at. I remember when I first started drag racing a motorcycle back in like like 97 or 96 uh, street bikes. We started playing with turbos on street bikes back in like 1995, 96. Okay, now you can get them like standard standardized on stuff like normal cars back when F1 was running turbos on them and we're running blowers on all of our race cars like Ron, funny cars and front engine dragsters have blowers on them since the since the freaking 60s. <laughs> right. So the craziest part is to see how all the technology that we've been using for years has reached the common marketplace in the normal automobile industry and it actually makes better fuel economy and they're making better power. When have you ever knew a little four cylinder engine that makes 300 horsepower that people drive every day? Back in the day, a, a Camaro had 275 horsepower or a Mustang had like 250 horsepower. You had all these cars that couldn't even make 300. My, I remember my wife got a minivan like several years ago and that thing made 300 horsepower is because all the stuff that we use in the race industry transcends and it molds into the everyday car to make them more fuel economy, more efficient. And that's what the performance industry is all about, is pushing those barriers of today that we're going to use tomorrow. And, and that's what performance is all about. And that's why I believe that 
all we get all the the support from the big people that support our series from the Toyotas, the Chevrolets, the Hondas, you know what I mean? The Dodge, the Mopars, all of them. That's why they're in performance is because we're their future of their technology that they're going to evolve and roll out into the everyday user that they're going to use every weekend and during the week. Amazing. Antron, excellent points. And uh, we're coming down the stretch here. A couple more minutes to go. Francis will be uh, popping on. We're just getting started today. Epartrade.com. We got Nitro Chiefs later on today. So check the schedule, all kinds of good stuff going on. You know, AP just mentioned, um, you know, the OEs that are involved in drag racing and, you know, you got Dodge with Ron, you got Toyota with Antron. Just a, another example of uh, Don Schumacher Racing. They've got two different uh, OE manufacturers under the same roof working on different things. Top Fuel Dragsters and Funny Cars is pretty amazing. But, Ron, since we've just got a couple of minutes remaining, I'll start with, with you and then move over to Antron. We've got a worldwide audience. We've got performance industry, uh, insiders, people who maybe are thinking about getting involved or following their passion, or maybe they stepped away from drag racing and they want to get back into drag racing. Certainly 2021 is a good time to get back into anything. Uh, we got new sponsorship. we got a brand new television deal with Fox where 50% of the races are going to be broadcast on the Fox broadcast network, the big over the air network, just so many positive things around NHRA drag racing. But I want to open it up to you. Like, what do you have to say to those people out there, as you think about your future as a veteran in drag racing, what's going on in drag racing right now in the National Hot Rod Association that you think other people, not just in the United States, but around the world should get in and get involved? Well, it's such a, you know, NHRA and drag racing is such a unique grassroots thing. Like every, who hasn't sat at a stoplight and stepped on the gas or tried to outbeat somebody in a car from here to there? whatever that might be. And, and around the world, um, you look at Qatar and you, you look everywhere. There's big time drag racing you'd never imagine could be in these small areas. And I got to go to Australia a few years back for Graham Cowan. And he, he, he put out eight funny cars on his own, ready to run a whole race packaged and ready to go. And they're, they're nostalgia type cars, but I went over there for a week and I showed up for an autograph session at this track and I couldn't believe the line. I thought maybe Jeff Gordon or somebody else was there signing autographs. And I pulled up and the guy says, no, they're waiting on you. Drag racing is, is much bigger than I certainly imagine in a lot of places. And, and it was just a re, you know, just reminded you of how great our sport is, whether it was quarter mile, whether we're going a thousand feet, whether you're going like some of these small tire deals are going, you know, half track, what is considered our half track. Um, sand drags, everything. It's just, it's such an eclectic thing, but um, I, I don't worry. I think our sport really through, okay, you look back at the pandemic, of course, we just went through, but every tough time that we've gone financially through in this world, NHRA seemed to hover itself pretty good compared to everything else. And I think because we offer, and I'm not comparing this, and I don't want to certainly downgrade any other motorsport, but when you come to a drag race, you're going to get an experience you can't get sitting in the grandstands watching a Formula One race where you can't get down to the paddock area. You, you, you need to practically give blood to even have a chance to get down in a pit area to NASCAR race, right? Uh, there's just no, no interaction that you're going to get at any other type of motorsport like you're going to get at a drag race where every ticket is literally a pit pass. It's like going to your favorite rock concert and going backstage and hanging out with the band 
and then going out and watching them front row. You just can't get that experience at other places. So um, I've always tooted that horn. I've loved that. I grew up on the sport of drag racing. Yes, I love everything else. I got a passion for every motorsport, um, but I really love the way that NHRA has stayed true to form. We didn't go back to racing through the pandemic unless we had fans. It may have suffered a little early. We weren't the first ones back. Outlaws, World Outlaws and, and NASCAR did, but that's what's great about our sport. And, um, and I will continue to, uh, I love going driving other cars, but when I get back in that funny car and step on the gas, there is still nothing in the world like stepping on 11,000 horsepower and being catapulted zero to 330 miles an hour in 3.8 seconds. And that's not even the, the crazy part. The crazy part is trying to get stopped. <laughs> People wonder why we don't go quarter mile racing. Imagine when you're stressed out about stopping this thing before that sand trap and the net at the end, you're not even worried about making that 330 mile an hour run. You're more worried about getting stopped. And that's where the safety aspect has been, um, one of the best in the world and I, our safety safari, our safety practices. Uh, that's probably the, the part you never hear about, but, um, yeah, I'll keep that horn in HRA anytime. Yes. And thank Excellent. you for bringing back Max Hedrum, by the way, Joe, when you rewatch this, you're going <laughs> to, a lot of these people watch around the world. Remember Max Hedrum, you got yes. this floating. Yes. And, uh, you're dating yourself. <laughs> you're dating yourself. Antron doesn't even know Max Hedrum. But yes, I do. Yes, oh, okay. Okay, yes. so I see Francisque and John up there. They did say 50 to 55 minutes. I'm going to give you a chance to, at a final comment, Antron, and then we'll bring the boys on. But, Ron, thank you so much. Congratulations on your win this year. What a great year. Uh, just amazing stuff. You guys are two of the premier uh, uh, drivers and ambassadors for the sport of drag racing. So, A.B., your final thoughts, and then we'll turn it over to Francis. Hey, I'm just going to touch on what Ron says because he hit, he hit the nail right on the head. And what I'm going to say is, is that – if it wasn't for the access of the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series, when I was a kid, I wouldn't be here on this on this call right now. I mean, my family, I mean, my mom, she worked at the post office. My dad was in the military and my grandpa had his own septic sanitation business. And I remember that was a treat to go to the Summer Nationals at Englishtown, New Jersey. And when they took me my first time, I've been to the, the Weekend Warrior Drag Races, but I went to my first national event. If any of you have never been, you need to come check it out. It is a lifetime experience. It's like the space shuttle taking off. It's like coming to a drag racing event. It's like seeing a spectacle one time in your life, and you will never forget it, and you'll come back. And that's what happened to me as a kid where I got to walk up to these pits, and I saw, like, Big Daddy Darn Garlitz, Mark Oswald, Kenny Bernstein, the snake, all of them doing their thing, like Beetle. I saw all of them doing their thing in their pits, and I looked at them, I'm like, that is so cool. He's working on his race vehicle. He's like getting down, getting greasy, cutting his hands up, working. Then they're going out to the starting line, going down the racetrack, coming back, tinkering on it some more to make it better to go quicker and faster. And I looked at it, I said, this is where I want to be. And when I got there and see it, it gave this little kid from Chesterfield, New Jersey, that little hope and vision that I could be there one day because I saw it with my own eyes. And now I get to live it each and every day. And that's what NHRA drag racing has done for me is cause, cause the spark that sparkle in my eye, give me the hope that I could be there because I could see myself there. And then actually just staying a part of the game and visualizing it and getting there and building relationships by the pips being open to actually get that opportunity to make it a reality. And 
And that's what I owe to the sport. And that's why I love our sport of drag racing so much. And I love every motorsport so much because it's the drive it takes to get there. But our sport, it has a, a pathway and a gateway that's wide open for you to get there. And that's what makes our sport what it is today. Thank you, Antron, three-time champ. Ron, champ, really appreciate what you guys do. Tremendous season. You got it in the books and you did a great job. Very excited about 2021 Camping World Drag Racing kicking off Gainesville, Florida at the Gator Nationals. A little updated schedule. You guys did great. Thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. You guys were brilliant. So much passion, enthusiasm, energy. I mean, it's just fascinating. So thank you very much. Registering on ePARTRADE is easy. Fill out your name, email, phone number, and create a secure password. Next, select your business type. Choose supplier if you're looking to display products or services and connect with buyers. Choose racing business if you're looking to find new parts and connect with suppliers. Choose race team if you own or are a member of a professional racing team. Begin typing your company name. We most likely already have your company in our database, which you can select from the drop-down. Then, enter your job title. Choose Claim Company if you'll be editing your company profile. Other members of your company can choose Join Company if they'd like to use ePARTRADE as well. You can view and agree to our terms of use here. If you'd like to receive our weekly newsletter, choose Accept. Click Register Now, and your registration will be submitted for approval. You'll need to confirm your email once it goes through. To keep our platform industry only, you'll be approved shortly after. If we require additional proof of business, we'll reach out. Welcome to ePARTRADE.